0: Hey guys, before you listen to the podcast today, uh, we have a new sponsor. Uh, today, we are sponsored by Lee vs. Kehoe. Uh, it's part of the Big Fella Boxing Promotion uh, Group. And it's going to be held in Andy Morris's backyard on the 27th of July. Um, you can't miss it. If you guys are around, definitely get your tickets. It's going to be a huge one. Um, four ounce gloves. Someone is getting knocked out. No headgears. So. Get your tickets, it's going to be great.
1: Hello and welcome to the first ever episode of Political Football. That's right, TP and Harry Tate. Let's go! Coming at you live. (laughs) A bit of this, a bit of that, a bit of sport, a bit of current political affairs. We've -hmm. got you covered. Substance over style is our motto. That's it. Hazard joins us here. How you been, mate?
0: Yeah, mate. I've been good. Just come from the gym. I've got the endorphins flowing. I'm ready for a great conversation.
1: Soon to change his name from Harry to Adonis. Um, (laughs) The man is looking sizable. Can't say the same for myself. I am sick of Strava. Can't wait for the gym to reopen. Uh, Arena Sports Centre, 22nd of June uh, this year. Can't wait to get back in there. Let's go. But... Uh going back to a bit more of a serious issue now, um obviously, over the last couple of weeks, the headlines have been dominated on a global perspective after the death of George Floyd, but more prominently here um, raising issues of indigenous incarceration and in indeed, indeed um, indigenous inequality as a collective. You just have to look at the numbers um to be shocked and quite saddened by what's happened since the nineteen ninety one Royal commission into Aboriginal deaths in custody, 432, I believe the number is, which if you average that out, that's about 15 a year. So it's quite sizable when you think about that. And some of the circumstances obviously brought to light um, by Mr. Walker last year in the Northern Territory. He was shot and killed by police after having overdue parking fines. Um, You can only have to go back to when I was a younger boy. I remember TJ Hickey in Redfern, who um, was impaled on a fence post after being chased by police. Um, being a white fella, I don't think I can actually relate to this too much, but we'll try and actually have a decent conversation here about how we can go forward and not so much identify the problem, as you can see in the media, but actually go ahead and actually look at the policy solutions um, and go forward from there. So, Harry, just get your initial thoughts on on what your sort of perspective is here obviously you can't really relate too much being a wife i never have to been stopped and searched have you ever been stopped and searched by I, police i
0: have never been stopped and searched by a police officer in my life right. i think um it's important that it's important that we focus on uh kind of rem- like uh policy remedies yeah. and our public policy i think that's how we're doing our little part in this whole movement um, we had a talk before the podcast and we, we kind of discussed it. We didn't want to make m- too many comments on what the media is saying about the marches or yeah. what the, the Black Lives Matter march is, uh, is doing. But we wanted to talk about some policy that can be enacted that changes some of these issues. And I know you're the expert of public policy. So uh, you've called me over here and yeah, I think it's going to be good. Well, I think you flatter me there, um,
1: <laughs> soon, soon to be expert, but we'll see how we go there. But I think the, the one framework that you obviously come to is the closing the gap targets. Obviously, it was instituted after uh, Kay Rudd gave the apology, mm. the long overdue apology in uh, 2008. And obviously, we're 12 years on from that. And the earlier report that came out uh, this year, the, you know, the annual report into how far we're progressing along the targets... Uh, we've only achieved're only on target to achieve two, two of, of the of the seven, which is obviously um, obviously you don't want to diminish the significance of actually achieving those two, but yeah um, obviously it's far from being where where it should be and where it aims to be at yeah. um, all things considered so obviously you look at things like. Um, life expectancy and child mortality when it comes to health mm-hmm. um, education you're looking at early childhood education literacy and numeracy and obviously year 12
0: attainment yeah uh, and employment outcomes as well so and just to be just to be clear the only two of the targets that were met have been the uh, early childhood education enrollment and the uh, the year 12 attainment
1: correct correct so I think um, it was 95% of um, four year, indigenous four-year-olds being enrolled in early childhood by 2025. They're on track to achieve that. Uh, and also to have um, Australians aged 20 to 24 in year 12 attainment equivalent rates by 2020. So we're pretty yeah. much on target for that. Um, obviously, there's been a lot of education programs. So if you look, just start with the positive and then we can go into the, the other aspects. Um, one um, sort of non-for-profit that I've been involved in, or well, fortunate enough to be been involved with through my days at university was AIM, which is the Australian Indigenous Mentoring Experience. And mm-hmm. I know um, Jack, I've had the privilege of meeting him and, um, on, on a too, br- too brief a basis, but he makes you want to run through a brick wall. What he's done with AIM, obviously starting at the University of Sydney, I think it was in 2005, and um, in getting Indigenous kids into the outreach programs and the tutoring programs they have. Yeah. Um, I dare say that's contributed a lot to that. Um, and I think that just sort of gives the blueprint in terms of models. Uh, in terms of actually achieving positive outcomes, in terms of closing the gap outcomes in relation to that. Obviously, it's about empowering, you know, the best solutions come from, from the Indigenous community. It's like, it's like everything, every decision doesn't have to necessarily apply to Indigenous communities. It always comes to the people who are involved in on the
0: front line yeah. who drive that community orientation. I think it's so important to have that strong leadership, strong examples of excellence within a community um, and it just improves the whole situation once you have that example, that strong leadership inside, like you said, within, the own, within their own community.
1: And I think that brings us to sort of a holistic point in the sense that um, we need a greater respect for Indigenous leadership. I mean, I don't want to diminish the idea that Ken White, who's become our first Indigenous um, Affairs Minister, obviously from an Aboriginal background. Yeah. Um, which was a great, you know, it shows a symbol, it shows that people can actually if Indigenous people, can get into politics and actually be a change maker and get yep. into those positions. But I would have liked to have seen greater support um, from like, the Prime Minister, the Treasurer, and, um, and, and the Social Services Minister in his role, even the sense that, well, obviously the big policy issue at the moment in terms of obviously constitutional recognition mm-hmm. and, a, and a, enshrining a voice to parliament yep. uh, in the constitution. So... I think what we've we've seen in previous times is a change of government, you've seen a change of strategy um, in terms of their indigenous policy, and that's been the scorn of of
0: progress and and going backwards. And what is the progress on the recognition in the constitution?
1: Well, I think there's just been a new campaign launch the other week, um, because Reconciliation Week was only a fortnight ago, which makes it even more poignant, and the theme was bringing we're all in this together. which I think is a very important thing because obviously societal change doesn't occur unless there's a, a consensus reach and you bring everyone along together. There's no point calling out um, bigotry and so you've got to try and educate people and bring people along for the journey. Yeah. Right? It's 53 years since um, Indigenous people you know, were actually recognised as people and, and citizens, mm-hmm. not flora and fauna as they were previously. Um, and the fact that they're not recognised at terra nullius hasn't been disproved or written, struck out of the constitution um, and then there's not a constitutionally enshrined voice um, that, the, that this Uluru Statement of the heart that was the point of the commission was to actually get Indigenous leaders together. You know, there's, all, there's over 200 nations of Indigenous people across across the country. So there's going to be, there's different voices in every, every aspect. So it's, yeah. it's a much more... It's not a blanket issue yeah, as the government yeah. treats it. One of the privileges I had when I was younger... I went on an indigenous um, in, uh, immersion trip to Alice Springs, yeah. and we had um, we had an auntie come down. who came down to um, speak to us at the beginning of the week, and she goes to quote her words: "We're all being tainted with the same black brush." So the issues that happen in you know urban areas mm-hmm. for indigenous people might vary significantly to regional areas in in country New South Wales, country Queensland, wherever it may be. Mm-hmm. And that's the point of the voice to Parliament was that you know it's. It supports self-determination at that community level. Now, I know the voice to parliament is controversial. Some Indigenous people don't necessarily agree with it. So I think it's important to recognise that, but there is a broad consensus that this is the way to go. Um, And I think people fail to understand uh, what it's about. So if I look at it here, they're seeking constitutional reform to empower uh, their people and take a rightful place in in their own own country. Um, A First Nations voice enshrined in the constitution which I think is a critical point because, as I said before, um, we've seen too often um, programs that were working or programs that were you know, seen, deemed to be working or at least you know, doing something in the community, they've been struck down by cuts or whatever it may be, the change of government. So that's why it needs to be enshrined, yep. is that it can't be
0: taken away by a stroke of a government pen when it comes to, yep. it comes
1: to funding. What are your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I think there needs to be some sort of... If it's, like you said, enshrined within um, the culture and the agendas every time a new government has an idea it doesn't keep getting chopped and changed yep. every election you know there's always going to be new policy but i'd really like to see some universal um some universal collective um voice like like you said with the first nations voice i'd really like to see that being carried through um a lot longer period than what yeah, it currently t- is yeah
1: yeah i think you, i think you touch on it there and you he really summarized that point uh, quite well um in relation to the final point of um the earlier statement of the heart it refers to truth telling which i think is even more important given the the uh the prime minister's statement yesterday in which he said um australia hasn't had a really had a history of slavery, slavery yeah so um, which clearly is contrary to the point you only have to look at the amount of south sea islanders that were brought to the queensland cane fields between 1860 and the 1900s mm-hmm. you've seen um, indigenous kids st- stolen from their homes um, Obviously as part of the stolen generations To actually be domestic servants yep. So that whole narrative um, is a fake reality And I think if the Prime Minister is saying that If he doesn't understand the history How many people don't actually understand that Given his role um, and understanding as a, as a leader of this country So I think that has to, I think that has to change um, And obviously when it comes to truth-telling This is an opportunity for us to reconcile this earlier statement of the heart. So it's the Aboriginal community reaching out to us as a non-Indigenous community, saying, "Look, we're we can move on, but it needs to be a recognition of what has occurred rather than a denial of it."
0: Yeah, no, I, I I 100% agree.
1: So I think yeah, I think we've touched on it there. We don't want to dwell too much on it, but we just wanted to touch base and give sort of our perspective. Again, we're just giving sort of an input, trying to give an impartial view on on what needs to take place again, the, the leadership needs to come from the indigenous community and it is there there is plenty of indigenous leaders um starting to sprout about and again i think it's important that this isn't just an issue that comes up once or twice a year and then gets yeah. put to the yeah, put to exactly. the back of the line But the momentum needs to keep up so whether it be calling a local member um or whatever it may be make sure you stay involved and and act- and uh, you know actions speak louder than words so uh, we'll leave it there, but let's move on to the uh, second part of the podcast now. We're going to be talking about some sport. Okay, so moving on now to talking a bit about sport. More footy. specifically, as Hazard just said, a bit of footy. You can't live with it. You can't live without it, especially <laughs> being a Tigers fan. But we'll get back to that a bit later on. But first off, we'll talk a bit about last night's NRL match between the Manly Warringah Seagulls and the Brisbane Broncos. Um, Hazel what are your thoughts on this game bit of a tale of two halves Brisbane going out to an early 18-0 advantage could have been more at the half uh, but then Siegel just come, Siegel's just coming
0: over the top of them in the end um, and icing it with a controversial penalty at the end there definitely I was excited to see that the Broncos had some fight in them the first half they look good uh, in attack their new, the new young fella on the wing yeah, Coates, Coates, Coates goes up for anything young Israel flower there um, yeah look Honestly, Manly's discipline. Manly's looking not what they they they're looking pretty weak considering their lineup, um, considering the Tommy Turbo and Jakey. You know they've got a they've got an all star lineup. I think they have a bit of problems with their halves. Yeah. Uh, DCE. I mean, the man does my head in, in defense. Criminally overrated. I'm just calling out now. <laughs> Criminally <laughs> overrated. Yeah.
1: Like, like, how this bloke is a straight and halfback. I I'll, I'll be amazed at the end of the year if they do go ahead and have the test, if, if he's still there. The way, like, defensive, like, he's great in the last 10 minutes. He's kicked a lot of field goals. I'm not sure what the number on field goals is, but he's great, in, you know, in icing with a field goal. But if you're straight and halfback, you're expected to, to command the team and... You know, defense is just as, as important as attack these days as, as a half. So, he's just
0: soft, mate. Yeah, yeah. He's soft as that penalty he milked um, when the Broncos should have gone in. Yeah. Oh, my. And if he has anything, like, if he's got a problem with me speaking to him like this, he can come see me, bro. <laughs> he knows where I am. He's calling him out. I'm not sure if that's a good idea for, for DCE, considering uh, the triangle choke that Harry Tate does possess. <laughs> um, um, and yeah, the, with the obviously Manly held, I think it was 73% possession in the second half, something like that. Obviously, yeah. a lot of calls went their way, especially with the last call with the one-on-one strip. Yeah, which was simultaneously, the right decision would have been
1: to go ahead and give him the right to go ahead and play the ball again rather than a penalty. There was no way, I think it was Carrigan who took the, stripped it. Mm. There was no way he would have been able to discern um, the call from the ref held. It was almost simultaneously to the point where he stripped the ball. So again, another dud call from Ashley Klein. But what's new?
0: <laughs> yeah, and people wanted. Uh, people were okay with the one ref, and I think a lot of it it leads to a lot more of uh, you know a flowing game. Yeah, there's a lot more running, which is good to see. But obviously, there's going to be a lot more dubious calls with just the one ref, and also a lot. I think the uh, in defense teams are so offside all the time oh, it's yeah, hard to get yeah. hard to get teams on side all the time with the one ref but i mean you got to take the good with the bad i've, yeah. I've generally enjoyed one ref it's been a better flow i love the set restart
1: yeah yeah the, the set restarts are so key if you get one in the in the late tackle count when you're fourth or fifth coming up and then you get a set restart it's so hard to defend that 10 or 11 tackles back to back and i think that adds to the momentum at the game, you know, NRL has always been a game of momentum. If you've got momentum, you run with it and you cash in. I think it's even been more so under the new rules of six to go um, and with the run ref because we saw last night Brisbane effectively had the whole momentum for the first half. Manly were able to steal a try on, you know, just before half time, which probably started the change of momentum back and then the second half Fanua Black came from the back fence, and he was just absolutely tearing them apart yep. with those PCMs, those post-contact meters, yep. um, and then I think they really set the flow, and again, mainly just got over the top, but I think they're going to be a top-eight team, but all this premiership hype surrounding them, I'm not too sure about it, I just think they've got a bit of a soft underbelly there, yep. um, you know, okay. people were like, you know, I, I, I like to power when he's on his game, but again, he's just a bit inconsistent, Vanilla Blake's probably the, the probably the star of the show oh, there was at my the man moment. Match last night for sure. um, but yeah, obviously Tommy Turbo is class. Jakey is class. Yeah, but you know Dil- Dylan Walker and um, DC when the chips are down, perhaps when they're not on the f- uh, front foot with with uh, with their forwards going forward, which is the case for all halves. But are they really going to be able to go ahead and you know yeah. defeat a, a classy Roosters or? or a storm outfit that's professional or even a a Raiders or Newcastle who will discuss shortly when Tate gets to his power rankings for his top five, which we'll move on to now.
0: Okay. So in my highly educated professional uh, experience, I will now give my power rankings, my top five. So coming in at number five, we have the Newcastle Knights. Good performance last game. I saw some flashes of brilliance. Um, even the week before with the draw, it showed a lot of resilience to come back and fight that hard. Um, so, that's why they're in at the number five spot. Number four, quite a fall from grace. I got the Canberra Raiders. The Raiders. Uh, you know, before the Storm, I would have put them at maybe number one or two. Uh, but after that performance against the Storm, I had serious doubts um, whether they could hold it together. And obviously, number three then is the Storm. Um, I was I was pretty unconvinced the first round back after uh, COVID, but you know they showed some good resilience, some good heart against the Raiders, and uh, they got it done. Munster has the best feet in the NRL. I don't any broken play. He's got the ball. He's he's getting around someone. Best feet in the NRL. At number two, we have the Eels, the, the Parramatta Eels. Eels. Uh, obviously undefeated, young team, exciting to watch. Mitchell Moses. Running around You know It's, it's uh, exciting to watch team um, I'm just I'm keen to see You know What they have In the higher stakes games And number one Of course We got the Sydney Roosters Baby Who else no did you think It was going to gonna be I mean They've looked amazing uh, After the second round Of course uh, You know Obviously Giving uh, Brisbane A hiding like that Without and, uh, Tedesco Without Tedesco And then uh, Beating the Bunnies Pretty convincingly um, but it looks like the Bunnies aren't... Pff, I haven't even got them in my top eight, pulley. I don't know about you. Well, but.
1: This, this weekend's game against the Gold Coast, it's a must win. I mean, if they were go down to the Gold Coast and go 1-4 and four in a shortened season, that's effectively the riding on the wall. <laughs> and it may as well be the riding on the wall for Bennett's career. I mean, the bloke hasn't won a premiership in 10 years. I mean, he really should nearly be in the home... He signed... <laughs> Bri, Bri, Brisbane, Brisbane is still feeling the repercussions of some of the deals he signed up there. I mean, he signed Darius Boyd when he was like 29 or whatever he was to a four-year, $3.3 million deal or something ridiculous, ridiculous. like that. Ridiculous. And he saw... Like, he did score a try last night, Boyd, actually... He played at, it right looked, for, yeah, for the first time right. in a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but if you've seen his defense in that Roosters game, where he got 59 nil. just comes rushing in. And that's a biggest sign of defense, speaking from a personal perspective... You come rushing in outside the line, leaving the inside men um, you know, isolated with a back rower or your outside man if the, hand, the fullbacks got the quick hands. It's just, um, it's just not, not worthy. So I think, um, I think Seabold's on the right track up there at Brisbane. But getting back to your top five, um, I'm, a big, I'm a big fan of the Newcastle Knights this year. Again, last year I tipped them not to make the eight. Again, I think Brown did a good job in rebuilding the list. But I just think in terms of his coaching ability, he's just a mark short of where they needed to be. Adam O'Brien's come in. Um, he's done a fantastic job, obviously, coming out of the the Roosters and the Storm system. He's put that defensive resolve in them. And you can see that. I mean, that Penrith game, where they, you know, were down, they lost Pierce, they lost Connor Watson, Ponga was suspended. They had all the young blokes in there. It was like an under-20s team. Mm. And they were down 14-0. That could have easily been a drummy, But they've come back and they did 14-0. They should have won the game. Brandon <laughs> Best had the pass to Edric <laughs> Lee. So, again, that would probably be they, you know, If I was to give it like a, a form power rankings, they'd be right to the top. Um, the Raiders, I think they're a very strong team. We um, The last couple of years, the Tigers haven't gone too well against them. And then coming off a loss, so I'm not expecting much from the Tigers this week. Um, well, I think they'll do an improved performance uh, comparatively against the Gold Coast. I mean, how worse could it be? Um, losing the Gold Coast, my goodness. Uh, and then the Storm, they're a professional outfit. I'm a huge fan of Papenhausen and Munster. They're, they're the key to their success. Yep. Um, It's just whether or not, you know, I think Cam Smith is finally starting to show his age. Yeah, I'm hoping that he signs up for another year so he can keep Harry Grant, who's been our best player since the resumption of the competition. The Eels, um, I can't argue with their position. 4-0, perfect start to the season. Obviously, lucky escape against Manly with that forward pass being called. I know Joe. I was sitting next to my good friend Joe Boyden uh, watching the game at the pub and um, his emotions his title wave of emotions went from you know oh, we've got this in the bag when they were leading what 19 18-6 or whatever it was to oh no this is not looking promising and then when Turbo threw that pass and Garrett got over the top of uh, Gutherson he would had his head in his hands but then he forgot they had the referee's pocket so uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think he'd be happy with that but again, I think uh, expectation and parameters, premiership title hopes don't necessarily they're not a great combination so we'll see how they go and you can't you can't really argue with the roosters being top of the pops, as much as it pains me. <laughs> um, you know, to put that sort of clinical display, they haven't missed a beat since coming back from uh, from isolation. I think, if anything, the shortened format will add to them. You know, they can sort of gear up even further going into the shortened format of the competition, and yeah, they'll be top four for sure and very hard to beat. It, they can be beaten, but you need a lot to go right on the day. Exactly. Um, so that's, that's my reflection. But again, I think it's a pretty... Um, Pretty strong uh, top five power rankings on our first episode from Harry Tate. So moving on to now a quick preview of this week's games. We've got the Warriors and the Cowboys. Let's face it, not many people will be watching that game. <laughs> um, you'd think the Cowboys would be good enough to get over the top there. I
0: wouldn't be surprised if the Warriors sprung a surprise uh, Surprise victory there. Your thoughts in that game? Take quickly. Yeah, look, it could go either way. Honestly, uh, too low on the ladder for me to even give a shit about. So, <laughs> classic Roosters fan talk. <laughs> um, then
1: we've got the Eels and the Panthers. Now this promises to be a sort of a game of the round up uh, there. The Battle of the West. Battle I'm sure, of the West, baby. I'm sure they. Um, the four packs will bash the crap out of each other in this game. It'll be, I think it'll be won by whoever gets over the advantage line. Yep. Nathan Cleary is back. Big, mm-hmm. adi- uh, big inclusion for the, for the Panthers.
0: Your thoughts on this game? I think the Eels will just have it, but it'll be a good game.
1: Yeah, I think uh, it's a good matchup there up front with, uh, with Paulo and uh, RCG up, going up against his old club. Um, with, um, with James Fisher-Harris, who's one of my most underrated forwards in the game. The bloke loves... Getting, finding his front and getting a quick play of the ball. And I think, um, you know, whoever wins that up-front battle will go a long way to winning tonight's game. But let's move on now to Super Saturday. Um, Bunnies versus Titans. Now, again... <laughs> oh, you, you, you got to win. <laughs> You've got to win. I think I think the Bunnies are primed for a, for a win. I mean, they were better last week against the Storm. It was there for the taking. They just didn't have... They lacked a bit of... Um, Finishing ability there. They made a lot of errors in that second half. The Gold Coast coming off a win. I mean, if there's any time to get the Gold Coast, it's coming off a win. Because when's the last time they won back-to-back? <laughs> <laughs> I'm expecting a 13-plus victory. Easy for the Bunnies. Yep, you agree that, yep. Yeah? Uh, And Then we've got the Knights versus the Storm. Now, this is obviously Ooh. a close contender with the Eagles-Panthers game for game of the round. Yep. This will be a real test for the Knights, I think. I've been impressed by their consistency. You know, the previous Knights would have put in performance. I remember last year they beat the Roosters in about the middle, like middle round of the competition. But then they went on and you know, lost four or five games after that. Mm-hmm. After they should have had the momentum flowing from that. So, again, I think this is another test for the Knights. They've had a pretty hard draw to start the season. So, if anything, if they get another win here, they go undefeated after five rounds. I mean, top mm-hmm. four is really at the edge of their fingers if they get through this and, and
0: continue to prove their worth. Yeah, definitely. I'd love to see the Knights uh, get this W over Storm and continue their uh, premiership hopes. And I think the, uh, the, it's worth the price of admission, not, you can,
1: not that you can go to the game, um, to see Pappenhausen versus Ponga, um, two of the most electric young players in the game. Again, Pappenhausen, another Tigers junior that escaped I believe my good friend uh, Cam Dow actually knows him um, (laughs) from the junior days at the Balmain Rugby League Association. So shout out to Cam Dow. (laughs) Um, Moving on now. And then uh, this one's obviously, I probably shouldn't comment on this game given the personal interest I
0: have in it. But the Tigers and the Raiders, your thoughts on that, Harry? Look, honestly, I think skill-wise, I think the Raiders have have you. But uh, look, you know, I'm, I'm waiting for the Tigers to do something exciting. I think they have the potential. Um, you know, they just got to hope the Leilua brothers have a good game. Um, no, but I, I think Raiders will just get you, but I'm, I'm keen for it. Yeah, and I think... Um, I mean, it's very interesting that Madge has brought the broom through the team this week,
1: uh, controversially leaving out yeah. club legend Benji Marshall. I didn't think he played that bad. Um, certainly not as bad as um, the other co-captain, Moses Embai, who's still in the team. And I'm a fan of Moses, don't get me wrong. I think he can play a role, but I'm just expecting more out of him. He's obviously, obviously on top dollar at the Tigers, so I want to I see a good game for Moses. Uh, but again, I think it's just the consistency that we're looking for. Madge wants a team of 17 that's going to leave everything out there. The consistency of effort, because we know there's a bit of skill there. I think part of the reason, in terms of a footballing perspective, he left out Marshall is because him and Brooks have been getting about the same amount of touches, and I think he wants Brooks to be the dominant Um, halfback getting up there at 60, 70 touches, which has proved fruitful before with Thurston when he won a couple of his Dally M's, he was getting 70 touches. Same with Michael Morgan, all those dominating halves. They get lots of touches of the ball and they they just really inject themselves into the game. So I'd love to see that from Brooksy. Again, I think he's a class player, but just that consistency of a performance that will take him to the next level. A big personal omission for myself is Luke Garner. I think the guy is a special player. Madge said it would have been on form. He did cop an elbow late in the game to the throat last week, so I thought it might have been to do with that. But um, it, Madge said all players have been omitted because of their performance last week. So, again, um, that was a bit of a surprise to me, but I'm sure he'll be back in the team um, before too long. And the final game, oh, sorry, the second, moving on to Super Sunday now as well, um, or Sunday, the Sunday ticket as they call on the Fox now. We've got the
0: Bulldogs and the Roosters. Hazard, do you want to take this one away? You know, you already know what it's gonna be. It's gonna be an easy blowout for the Roosers. Doggies haven't offered much except against the Dragons, which I mean, wouldn't really count that as any sort of uh, moral. I mean, any sort of victory. Um, yeah, look, I think Roosers will put similar scoreline to Broncos. Honestly, if they play the same way, I think I think you'll see
1: a bit more com- sort of a competitive edge from the Bulldogs. I mean, the Bulldogs roster. Is probably one of the worst in the competition, if not the worst. It, and they compete. You have got to give credit to the Bulldogs. They yeah, do compete sure. on a on a weekly basis. They just don't have the cattle at the moment. So I'm expecting the a count. lineup, a lineup like thirty two like a score thirty-two to twelve or something like that, where okay. sort of Roosters are in control of the whole game. Um, but, but there are some flashes yeah, from the yeah, Dogs, yeah, yeah. and, they, and they, they show some defensive resolve. But yeah. the, the attacking starch of the Roosters um, is just too much for them. The only chance the Bulldogs might have is if, if Tedesco has another high fever, the flop. Um, moving on to the final game of the round. It's the, uh, the Battle of Southern Sydney. It's the St. George Illawarra Dragons going up against the now
0: one-win Sharks. Um, your thoughts on this game? You know what? Fuck it. I'm calling it. Dragons are winning this one. They're down. Uh, people are counting them out. You know, they've got all the dramas with their coach. Uh, hopefully he's given them a good spraying. They have the talent. This is the weirdest thing about the Dragons. They've got an all-star. They've got some got really decent. good players yeah. in their team.
1: And that was also so disappointing for them against um, the Bulldogs. Was exactly they've got. It's such a better team on paper, but as the Bulldogs prove, it's more about you know the the effort and mm-hmm. uh, the effort areas. So the Dragons, you know, the, the Sharks have proved you know they're not going to be world beaters this year. So if anything, they get resolve. I mean, to go zero five. I mean, the writing's really on the wall for Mary. I mean, who, whoever's idea it was to sign to that two-year extension when they didn't need to, when he could have just seen it this year. And uh, obviously, the Dragons aren't in the best financial position, so um, obviously that would lead to like a million dollar payout. And again, you've got all these, you've got Frizzell leaving, who's, you know, mm. he's a Coral Moore junior, I think. Um, and you've got, you know, other players, Jason, young Jason Saab, who's a up-and-coming tall winger. You've got Matt, Matt Dufty, who's on the outer there. I mean, they signed Zach Lomax to be the long-term fullback to like a five- or six-year deal. And after one game, he gets... What, what are your thoughts on that? You, you sign a guy to a five- or six-year deal. You've seen with South Sydney, right, Latrell's been there. Bennett has stuck with him, at least, at fullback. Yeah. But to put Lomax back onto the wing or back into... Okay, I don't think he's a fullback yeah.
0: person. I think he's more of a centre. Yeah. Center. So what do you th- yeah, they've got some serious problems with their... Their full, their back three, um, you know they keep thinking it's Dufty and then they think, then they sign Thingo to five years. Look, I, I just think Dragons really mismanaged some of the uh that that aspect of their game, yeah. um, the, of their roster. They just let Frizzell go. I mean, I don't know how they were gonna hold him, but yeah, yeah look, I don't think. Dragon's problems are going to be resolved anytime soon. They're
1: they're more systemic than superficial, let's say that. But that's the end of this week's preview and it brings to the end of this week's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed our discussion. We'll be coming at you on a regular basis from now on in. This is Harry Tate. Yo. TP (laughs) saying goodbye and enjoy your weekend. See ya.